0: Palm Sunday and Holy Week, 2022. Today is Palm Sunday, but we're going to be uh, talking about much more than Palm Sunday today. Uh, We're going to be looking into what happened during Holy Week. Who knows what Holy Week is?
1: The triumphal
0: entry of Jesus. Well, that's the beginning of it. It begins with Palm Sunday and ends with Easter Sunday. So we're going to be talking about that. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 21. If you don't have uh, your Bible with you, uh, you can look there at the uh, scripture up there on the uh, PowerPoint presentation. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, uh, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done to be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, that is, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We were just singing about that earlier uh, this morning. And when he had come into Jerusalem and all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, as we uh, come before you, Lord, and I thank you so much for the message that you shared with me, and I can in turn share with your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be educated and understand better what Palm Sunday is all about. And uh, uh, what Holy Week is all about. So, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, uh, speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to glean from these um, words, Lord, uh, messages that we can apply for our own personal lives. And we thank you for being with us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Today begins Holy Week. What is Holy Week? Well, it's actually not just seven days, but it's actually eight because it begins with Palm Sunday today and then you have all six days next week and then Easter Sunday, so total of eight days. Now, why is Holy Week important? You know, as important as the life teachings and miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ were, they are really secondary to his central mission. What was his central mission? His central mission was to go to the cross, suffer there, bleed, and die for the sins of the world. That's our sins. Now, Holy Week is very important. You just consider the weight of Scripture uh, to, that is given in the Gospels to this final week. I went through uh, yesterday and figured out exactly how much, in proportion to the rest of the Gospels, this one week was. And I came up with this Matthew chapter 21 uh, verses uh, uh, chapter 21 through 28, or a total of eight chapters, Matthew devotes to this. That's uh, rounding figures up, about 29%. Mark, it's even greater. Chapter 11 through 16, or six chapters of his gospel are devoted to Holy Week. 38%. Luke, it's not quite as much, uh, starting at verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 28, and going through the end, uh, you've got uh, approximately 23%. But John... In John's Gospel, Holy Week starts in chapter 12, verse uh, verse 12, through chapter 21, you've got about 47%. So the grand total is approximately one-third of the space given to in the Gospels, the writings of the Gospel. One-third of that is devoted to Holy Week. So, that alone should make us sit up and take notice on the importance that God places upon this particular time period in Jesus' earthly life. Now, what happened during Holy Week? As I mentioned, it starts out with Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, you have the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which was written over 500 years before Jesus came and made his triumphant entry on the donkey into Jerusalem. 500 years. Jesus ultimately fulfilled it 500 years later. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, in Palm Sunday's past, I've given to you a sermon that I entitled Living Triumphantly with Humility. Now, the gist of that scripture is that we can live triumphant and victorious lives without being puffed up with pride. You know, some people seem to be really puffed up with pride. You know, they they say, well, we've got the victory. And they go around saying stuff like, I'm blessed, coming in and going out. And they seem very prideful about this. But we're, you know, we're to appreciate the blessings that God has given us. But at the same time, we're to do it with humility. You know, these people with the health and wealth gospel are really guilty of this. You know, I've met a number of them that are really pretty prideful about the blessings that they receive. And they don't, they almost seem to have a reluctance to give God the glory for that. It's more like they have the attitude, well, you know, I deserve this. Let me tell you something you don't deserve any blessings that God gives you. You should praise Him for the blessings you do have. That's why we call it pot bliss instead of uh, pot luck. We don't believe in luck here. We believe in what? We believe in the blessings of God. Hallelujah. Now, what I was trying to say in that is, you know, uh, you think of that original Palm Sunday, right? Now, who was watching this really closely it was the Romans, right? The Romans were watching this because anytime there was a crowd of people, they were on their toes because they kind of expected, uh, you know, the, the people might r- rise up and uh, rebel against them. And they were to be on guard about that. So I can just picture them sitting around watching Jesus come in to Jerusalem triumphantly. But what's he doing? He's riding on a donkey. And I can just, uh, kind of, in my mind's eye I see them nudging each other, you know, like, you know, Lucius, get a load of this. This is the way these stupid Jews practice a procession. Because you see, the Romans knew how to do these triumphant uh, <clears throat> uh, processions. They did it in a right manner. That is, they always had the general or the king or emperor and he would be coming in these triumphant processions, what would he be riding? He'd be riding a white horse. Or maybe if he wasn't riding on a white horse, maybe even better, he would be riding in a chariot that was drawn by white horses. And, uh, you know, uh, the... Procession would be preceded by these priests, and they would have these bowls of incense that would be uh, burning, and the scent of that incense would just waft through the air, and every, everybody could smell it, and that was the, after the priests were maybe the captives, those that were uh, captured, the prisoners of war. And then you had, of course, the, the king or the uh, general riding in, uh, you know, doing his thing on the white horse or chariot drawn by white horses. And then, of course, you would have the victorious uh, <coughs> uh, troops. And everything was done in order. And the image of these Roman uh, triumphant processions would be known to every man. If they had never witnessed them, they doubtlessly would have heard uh, what went on. So they, they knew the imagery. And you know, the Apostle Paul plays on that imagery in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul writes here, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. And makes manifest the savor, savor referring to the smell of the incense, the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that uh, perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? You wonder why if you uh, live a Christian life and you do it openly and let people know where you stand, many people are going to hate you for it. That's a simple fact. And you receive persecution. Why? Well, it's the same thing with the the Roman procession. Everybody smelled the savor of that incense wafting through the air. And it was the smell of life to those that were victorious, to the king or emperor or general and the troops that were triumphant in battle. It was the smell of life. But to those that were captured, it was the smell of death. They were lucky they would just be sold off into slavery, but many of them were facing death when they reached their ultimate destination by crucifixion or maybe by some other means. So it is with, with people these days, if you make your testimony known to others, you're the scent of death to those that are perishing, those that refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to those that are saved, you are the smell of life. So, what happened here on Palm Sunday? How does Jesus come riding in on his triumphant entry into Jerusalem? He's not on a white horse or a chariot driven by white horses, but he's riding in on a donkey. Now, kings and generals would ride on white horses as a sign of their power and their triumph. But servants and prophets rode in on donkeys as a sign of humility. And the people understood this too. The people that were shouting Hosanna to the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They they understood this when some of the people there that didn't know what was going on said, who is this? You know, the multitude that were part of the procession, what did they say? They said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of of Galilee. So Jesus rode into Jerusalem in humility, on a donkey, only to be crucified six days later. You know, this shows you the fickleness of uh, crowds. You know, one moment, they're, uh, you know, greeting him with great pomp and fanfare. And then, you know, before you know it, they're turning against him. Scarcely six days later, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus rode into Jerusalem in humility because he was going to be crucified in six days for the sins of the world. But one day, Jesus himself will be riding in on a white horse. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and this is at the second coming of Christ. Not then, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. There's your white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Referring to Jesus, of course. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who are these uh, armies? You know who that is? That's us. Not just the angels in heaven, but us as well we're going to be coming in and riding on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with wit, and that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he, had, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. The meaning of Palm Sunday. So Jesus enters Jerusalem in two ways. At two different times and in two different ways he came in. He came in the first at his first advent as a humble and suffering servant who would ultimately die on the cross for our sins. And the second way will be as a conquering king who will demand allegiance to himself. And it was this image of the conquering king that the Jewish nation was looking forward to. They thought they didn't realize that there was going to be two... Advents for their Messiah. They were looking for the second advent, a conquering king who would uh, throw off the yoke of the hated Roman Empire. But that's not what they got. Instead, they got the humble and suffering servant uh, instead. So the meaning for this is we either submit to him now and receive his death as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins or we will be forced to submit to him later at his second triumphant entry it says in the philippians as i've quoted for you many times before philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 that at the name of jesus christ every knee should bow the those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. So we either accept him as Lord now or we will be forced to uh, uh, confess him as Lord in the life to come. So the choice is ours. Now I'm going to go through Holy Week Monday through Thursday in the rest of this message. What happened on Monday of Holy Week? Well, you read that early in the morning Jesus was going into Jerusalem and he was hungry and he saw a fig tree there that had already had its leaves but it's, he said he went up to it expecting to maybe uh, find some figs that he could eat but there were no figs on there. So you know what he did? He cursed the fig tree and the next day it was I had, it had dried up and withered, it was dead. So, you know, I, uh, when I first read that, I said to him, well, if it wasn't the time of the figs, why did he uh, curse the fig tree? You know, that's kind of, it seems kind of mean to put a curse on this fig tree. Well, the, the reason is the fig tree in the Old Testament was symbolic of what? It was symbolic of the Jewish nation. And what Jesus was doing is he was saying, in effect, that the Jewish nation was going to reject him. It wasn't bearing any fruit. You can see this uh, matter of the fig tree representing uh, Israel in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, and also Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. So this was actually. The thing that happened with the fig tree was a prediction of the rejection that Jesus would suffer less than a week later. Also on Monday, Jesus continued on into Jerusalem. And what did he do? He made a beeline for the temple. And what did he do? He found the outer courtyard there just uh, ridden with all of these people that were changing money, and uh, they were selling uh, these animals, you know, either uh, uh, doves for the poor people or uh, the sheep and the uh, uh, oxen for those that were more wealthy. And what they were doing, you know what they were doing? Is they, they, a lot of times, the people would come in from the countryside and they would bring their own animals. But before they could... Sacrificed that animal, they had to take it to the priest, and the priest would look it over and would usually find some kind of defect in it and say, "You can't offer that." And so you got to you got to buy it from one of these people out there in the courtyard. You know, whatever animal it was that you were going to offer, and you you had to go buy it from them. And so they went to buy it, and they would uh, start producing uh, Roman coins. You know the uh, uh, coinage of the uh, of that day, and uh, the uh, person that was selling it says, "No, you can't, you can't uh, uh, use that money. You got to go over here to the money changers and buy the Jewish get the you know exchange it for Jewish money, and then they would uh, charge these exorbitant exchange rates. And what's happening? The people are there just to worship the Lord." and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, offer sacrifices to him. And what was happening is they were getting ripped off in this one innocent thing that they were trying to do to worship the Lord. So Jesus was mad. And it says in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold In the temple and overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So that's what happened on Monday. What about Tuesday? Tuesday of Holy Week was a busy day for Jesus. During this day the Jewish leaders tried four times to trap him, and trap him. But he also used these in ca- occasions to teach vital principles concerning the kingdom of God. Quoting from uh, Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor in their book, The Escalating Conflict. The Escalating Conflict was the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. They write this. I think this is really interesting here. It says, This is the real historical Jesus, fully in control as he responds with grace and truth to traps on all sides, From all these different groups of people were trying to trap him. He, Jesus, that is, knows what he is doing. And Jesus also knows what is coming. So, these people tried to trap him. These traps included, first of all, by the Pharisees. They went up to him and they said, uh, by what authority did he cast out the money changers and the animal merchants out of the temple the previous day. You know, they did this because his cleansing of the temple undoubtedly hit the religious leaders in the pocketbook too. Because they almost, uh, for certain, were in on the action. You know, they why else would they allow these uh, uh, money changers and uh, the... Uh, uh, animal merchants to be there in, in the outer area of the, the temple, uh, period. You know, they must have been getting their cut at the same time. What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't answer them directly by what authority did he cleanse the temple, but instead he countered with his own uh, question regarding authority. He asked them, does, uh, was John the Baptist, uh, the baptism of John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from uh, uh, um, men? In other words, did John speak with the authority of men or of God? Did he just speak for himself or was he speaking from, from God too? And the religious leaders sat down and they said, well, if we say that it was from heaven, you know, that John was from of God, then he will ask us, well, why didn't you believe him? And if we say that uh, it was from men that John was just speaking for himself, we fear the people because they all hold that John was a prophet. So they reluctantly went up to him and he said, we don't know. And so Jesus replied, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things either. More traps that they set for Jesus on Holy Week on Tuesday. The second trap was potentially had uh, far more serious consequences than the first trap. The the Herodians, the Herodians were the people that uh, uh, believed that Herod was the rightful king of Israel. Most of the common people didn't believe that, they resented Herod. But the Herodians, uh, they they had uh, Herod's back. And so the Herodians came up to Jesus and they asked him if it was lawful to pay taxes to the Romans. Now, if he said, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to the Romans then the people would turn against him because they hated paying these taxes to the Roman Empire. They were poor enough as it is, and then they had to pay these exorbitant taxes to the Romans in addition to that. So if he says yes, he will alienate the people. If he says no, no, it's not lawful to pay taxes uh, to the Romans, then he would have the uh, Romans coming after him and arresting him for Uh, for insurrection so he was uh, the the old saying you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't so once again Jesus doesn't ask them answer them head on instead he asked them for a Roman coin a denarius and he asked them whose picture is in on the coin and they said Caesar's and then Jesus teaches a scriptural principle he takes this whole uh, trap, this question uh, that they were trying to entrap him with and uses it to teach principles behind the, uh, behind the kingdom of God. He said, uh, uh, render then Caesar's, the, the things that are Caesar's, and the th- to God, the things that are God's. So in other words, what he was teaching is the separation of the church and state, which continues uh, today. We don't have a theocracy, brothers and sisters. A theocracy is when God or their concept of God uh, <coughs> uh, pervades and is the ruler. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a theocracy, that uh, uh, the uh, Watchtower Bible and so- Tract Society is, is Jehovah's theocratic kingdom. You know, the uh, Muslims believe in this too. They don't believe in the separation of church and state. But we have a separation of church and state right now in God's kingdom until he returns. And then it will once again be a theocracy. Okay, the third group of people come up to him and they're the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees were actually the ruling uh, Jewish religious authorities. You know, they're the Pharisees too, but they didn't possess little in the name of uh, power. You know, the Sadducees were really the ones that were behind that. And the Sadducees, uh, Pastor Sandra likes to say that they they were not very uh, uh, happy people. Why did you say that? He says, you, well, they were sad, you see. <laughs> Bad job. okay. Anyway, the, the Sadducees came up to him and the Sadducees didn't believe in the miraculous and they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were taking this... You know, they knew that Jesus believed in the resurrection because he'd talked about it in his teachings. And they decided that they're going to ridicule this uh, idea of resurrection, you know, uh, you know, to Jesus in front of the people. And they came up to him with this uh, uh, situation, this story, which was either real or maybe hypothetical. And they said a man, you know, uh, married a wife, and then he died without leaving any children. And it says in the laws of Moses that if a, a uh, brother you know, has, has his brother you know, uh, get married and uh, dies without any children, that the, the brother is to marry the wife too. And he said, uh, so that happened, and then the brother died. And then uh, there was another brother, and he married her, and he died. And so on and so forth through seven brothers. All of them married her. None of them had any children. So they said, okay, in the resurrection, who, whose wife is she going to be since all of them had uh, her as a uh, wife? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. And then he said that uh, uh, in the resurrection, they are neither going to marry nor uh, be given in marriage but they're going to be like angels. Now, you know, there's a uh the LDS group, they they believe that marriage is forever. You know, they they get sealed to a wife or a husband here on earth and the, that that wife or husband is going to be theirs throughout all eternity. So the the problem is you know, what Jesus was saying to the Sadducees is, you've given me an invalid question. You don't realize that, you know, they're neither going to be married or not married in the, uh, or given in marriage in the life to come. So, you know, when the, LDS people believe that they're going to be sealed to a wife or a husband throughout all eternity. The same uh, the same presentation applies to them that applied to the Sadducees. So Jesus, once again, uses the occasion to teach regarding the kingdom of God, that we are not going to be married or given in marriage. You know, I, I admire a lot of the people that are here in the congregation because they have really strong marriages, you know, And much as I love uh, uh, Dolly now, I know that uh, she's not going to be my wife in the life to come because my marriage to her is for this life only. That's what Jesus taught here. Okay, the fourth trap is a teacher of the law. It wasn't really that much of a trap. He just comes up to him and asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus answer? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these in all the law and the prophets. So Jesus uses this, this occasion to teach another principle, and that is the Ten Commandments, can be boiled down to just two. You only need two commandments. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Okay? That's commandments one through four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those deal with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he said, and the, uh, the other one is to what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And that encompassed, uh, you know, uh, the <clears throat> other six commandments, you know, honor your father and mother through uh, you shall not covet. You uh, love your neighbor as yourself. You won't kill him. You won't covet his wife. You won't uh, uh, bear false witness against him. You won't steal from him. All these different commandments. It's all boiled down to these two principles. And remember this, brothers and sisters. If you have principles, if you live by the principles contained in the word of God, you don't need laws. You just follow the principles, and you'll just naturally do everything that God wishes you to do. Also on Tuesday of Holy Week, Jesus taught three main parables. He taught about the parable of the two sons. And by the way, these uh, three parables were all directed at the uh, uh, Pharisees and the religious leaders. And they knew it too. And they had said that they made made them very angry because he knew that these parables were uh, spoken against him. He talked about two sons. Father goes up to one son and says, son, go work in my vineyard. And uh, the son says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to rebel against you. And then he thought better of it later. And he went out and he worked in the vineyard. And the other son, he says, son, go work in the vineyard. And he says, "Uh, uh, yes, I'll go and work in the vineyard, but he didn't go. So Jesus says, which one of the two obeyed his father? They said the first. And then he used that occasion to say, the whores and the tax collectors are going to get into the kingdom of God before you do. They were the son that said, I won't go, and then went and did it anyway. And the religious leaders are the ones that said, yes, I will go, but they weren't truly going in and laboring for the Lord with their their uh, true hearts. He also told the parable of the vineyard owner and the tenants. His man owned a vineyard and he leased it out to these tenants and then sent people in to collect from the fruit of it, you know, when harvest time came. And the tenants... Uh, beat his servants up. Uh, some of them they, they killed. And then uh, uh, it says, last of all, again, and, you know, I've, I've been telling you that there's no prophets for today because the, those servants represented the prophets of the Lord, which were mistreated by the uh, <clears throat> leaders, uh, the people and the leaders of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And he says, last of all, he sent his son. So no more prophets after after Jesus. Last of all, he sent his son. And what did the tenants do to the son? They killed him and they said, let's kill him. And then the vineyard will be ours. He's the heir of it. So they killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So that represented Jesus. And so the Pharisees and the uh, of religious leaders knew that he was talking about them. They were the tenants that had been mistreating the prophets and they were prepared to kill the very son of God which was going to transpire. And finally you had the parable of the wedding banquet. A great king or leader or governor, he, his son is getting married. Son, of course, represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sends out the messages uh, throughout the land to the nobility, you know, the uh, people that, uh, uh, you know, for everybody to come for this great uh, wedding banquet, which represents the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you read about that in, uh, also in Revelation 19. Okay, so. He sends it, and the people began to make excuses. Well, you know, I just married a wife. I can't come. I just bought a new team of oxen. I need to try them out. I can't come. I just bought a plot of ground, and I need to go check it out. You know, I can't come. And they made all of these excuses. And then the governor was enraged and he said, okay, we'll go out there and invite everybody, the blind, the uh, lame, uh, the deaf, and uh, beckon them, call them, you know, my wedding hall must be filled. And they still had room, so he said, go out to the highways and byways throughout the land. And he says, none of those people that were originally invited will participate in there. So Jesus was indicating, that the people that were invited—that is, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders and other uh, people—you know—they were invited, but they weren't going to attend because they were too puffed up with their own pride. And the the, uh, the people that were lame and uh, uh, blind and and uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, deaf—you know—those represented the uh, what the people that. Uh, Uh, were regarded as uh, you know uh, the whores and the tax collectors and the people that were regarded as sinners you know they were broken down spiritually but they were invited and finally the people from all the highways and byways that represented us the Gentiles that by all rights according to uh, their law we had no right in the kingdom of God but after Cornelius and his household were, uh, uh, you know, admitted into the, the church itself. We are all invited to, to be there for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So those three parables were very important. Now you also have the seven woes of uh, Matthew chapter uh, 23, which, uh, you know, I won't uh, read the seven woes, I'll just uh, share with you my favorite one, which is uh, in verse 27 of Matthew chapter uh, 23. Jesus said to the, uh, he he would always address them, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he would give some kind of illustration that would show their hypocrisies. I just like this here. For you are like whited sepulchres, whited graves, which indeed beautiful, uh, uh, appear beautiful outward, but are within, inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Wow. I don't preach like that, do I? Maybe I ought to. <laughs> but he really let him have it. Isn't there any wonder why the uh, scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders hated Jesus when he would lash out at them like this? He would shame them because he called them out. He pointed his finger on their sins and he called them out for it. And finally, on uh, Tuesday of Holy Week, we have the Olivet Discourse. You find that in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and also you find a a nearly identical passage in Mark chapter 11 and Luke uh, 21. The Olivet Discourse. This was on his way back to uh, Bethany, uh, you know, to Mary and Martha's place at uh, the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. I would suggest that you become familiar with it because Jesus gives the signs of the end times. And believe me, brothers and sisters, we are right there now. You know, I see judgment coming to this nation. Unless this nation turns around mighty quick, judgment is going to fall upon us. Okay, Wednesday of Holy Week, only got two days left here. Now, little is recorded about this day, although we read in Luke chapter 21, verse 37, that Jesus was daily teaching in the temple. But we really have no uh, a record of what he taught uh, on this particular day. The highlight of the day takes place in the evening, which he spent at the home of a man called Simon the leper. On this occasion, a man... It, who was revealed to us is in the Gospel of John to be Mary, the sister of Martha. Remember last week we talked about Mary and Martha. She breaks open an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. You know, some people think that uh, that jar of perfume was to be reserved for her wedding day. And in a, a manner of speaking, she was married to Jerusalem figuratively of course you know I don't mean she was actually married to him <coughs> literally and she breaks open this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume and pours it over his head and anoints his feet but Judas Iscariot raises a big fuss over this and he says well, why this waste you know he called it a waste and he says it could have been sold and the money be given to the poor. John adds, uh, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but he was the treasure for uh, the uh, Jesus and the 12 apostles. And he uh, cared about money and he, he, he was a treasure and he was often helping himself to their funds and using it for his personal use. And Jesus rebukes him sharply for this. And he says, uh, you know, uh, the poor you're going to have with you always. But what she has done, she's done a great thing for me. And what she has done is she has anointed my body for burial, his impending burial that was coming up. And I read that one day and I wrote in the margin of my Bible, devotion to Jesus takes precedence or is more important than than social action. It's more important to be devoted to Jesus than to perform uh, social good deeds. Not that we shouldn't do the social good deeds. We should do that too, but we should be even as devoted as we may be to that. We are to be more devoted to Jesus. And then Jesus says another thing. He, He says, you're gonna have the poor with you always. You know the, you know. So often we think we can have a utopia and there won't be any poor people. Not going to happen. Jesus said you're going to have poor people. You're always going to have the haves and the have-nots. And the promise of socialism and communism is that they're going to have a classless society. Well, guess what? They don't have a class of society. They still have these people that live high on the hog, the leaders and the high communist officials. It's no different than they would under a, a monarchy and a nobility. It's no different. You're always going to have haves and have nots. You know, there's a the story of a, uh, a communist who was debating a Christian in front of the people one day. And the communists spies this man that's uh, shivering in the cold. You know, it was probably in Russia. You know, they have uh, really uh, uh, cold days there in Re- uh, Russia and uh, he's shivering in the cold. And the communist points to the man and says, communism will give a new coat to that man. And you know what the Christian countered with? He said, Christianity will put a new man in that coat hallelujah that's what the kingdom of god is all about it's about transforming lives so the promises of communism and socialism and the far left of uh, this nation they're going to set up a socialist society where everybody's going to be taken care of it doesn't it doesn't happen. Everywhere communism has taken over, there's been nothing but pain and misery for everybody. You take a look at Venezuela. Venezuela was the third richest country in this hemisphere, behind only the United States and Canada. They took over, and what happened? The people there are so poor. You know, they said, okay, you're all gonna share in the oil wealth that our nation has. Didn't happen. Instead, they are suffering over there. Millions of people have fled to other countries and the people there are starving. They're starving so much they're actually killing and eating their pets in order to have something to eat. That's what socialism and communism does. It does not work. It sounds great on paper, but it never works. Everybody say that. Socialism never works. Devotion to Jesus does work, though. Okay, Thursday, last day here, and then we'll wrap things up. Okay, Thursday of Holy Week is also called Monday. Thursday. See, that's a new thing I learned. I didn't even I'd never even heard of that word until I was uh, preparing this uh sermon here. It's like I always tell you I love to preach and to teach because I usually learn more than you guys do. I learn more new things than what you guys do. It's called Monday Thursday. Monday comes after the Latin word for a commandment and it's based in John 13:34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now we read about Maundy uh, Thursday in Matthew chapter uh, 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13, but also in John uh, chapters uh, 14 through 17 too. In these passages, several major events events happen on Monday Thursday. First of all, Jesus washes his disciples' uh, feet. And this is uh, recorded only in John 13, uh, the John 13 passage. This was the ultimate sign of Jesus' humility, as only the lowliest of servants normally would perform this task of washing uh, people's feet. That were uh, guests of the uh, the host. Certain, re- even today, certain religious groups perform this task. Some of some of the uh, uh, Catholics perform it on on Monday, Thursday, and uh, uh, our sister organization, the uh, Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee, they also perform foot washings. Second of all, on uh, Monday, Thursday. Not only does John record the occasion of the foot washing, but he goes on to recount the remainder of what I've told you about before, the Upper Rune Discourse in chapters 14 through 17. Uh, John's gospel is the only gospel that mentions it. Now, at the same time, uh, the the other gospels have a lot of details that the gospel of John does not have. Supposedly, uh, John read You know, John uh, uh, didn't uh, pass on until late in life. He was in his 90s. And supposedly he had occasion to read some of these other Gospels. And at least, uh, not not the Gnostic ones, but the other ones. He read like uh, from Matthew. And he said they were correct, but they didn't tell a lot of the things Uh, that he felt were important. So that's why you've got the upper room discourse, and you also got the resurrection of Lazarus, which is recounted only in the uh, Gospel of John. Thirdly, the uh, Lord's Supper is performed, and we are later instructed to continue to observe in in remembrance of the Lord's death on the cross for our sins. Fourthly, Judas Iscariot leaves the meeting in the upper room where he then meets with the religious authorities and he betrays the Lord. And finally, the Lord leads his followers into the garden of Gethsemane, where he beseeches the father uh, something, two or three times to let this cup that is the uh, crucifixion for the sins of the world pass from him. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And his prayer is unanswered, and a short time later, Judas leads the men to arrest him. So, conclusion, or summary here. Now, I've covered a whole lot of ground here, and I could have taken more time with these uh, few days here, Monday through Thursday. And maybe I will next year. Maybe I'll spend a whole uh, week on each of these days. You know, I could have easily spent a full message on Tuesday with all the traps and parables or even more. Next week, we're going to conclude Holy Week with good Friday and Easter Sunday. But uh, during this week, as we celebrate Holy Week, I would encourage all of you to pray and maybe fast and especially read the passages that I've uh, been sharing with you. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 through 26, the first part of 26. Mark chapter 10 through the first part of uh, uh, chapter 14. And Luke chapter 19 through the first part of uh, chapter 22. And then John chapter 12 through 17. You might want to make a note of those passages and like I said, read them through. I'm I'm going to be spending a lot of time praying and fasting and reading through these scriptures. Um, and, you know, you say, well, uh, Cliff, I, I don't know if I can find the time to do all this stuff. And I always say, you'll never find the time. You have to do what? You have to make the time. Make it a priority. So... Uh, I'm going to have Susie cue up our final um, song here. Let's worship the Lord. We say with the singer, Lord, praise forever to the King of Kings. We give you glory, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for going to the cross, Lord, for our sins, Lord. And, Lord, help us to think and meditate, Lord, on Holy Week, Lord, and the things that must have been going through your mind, Lord, and in your heart during this time. And Lord, you used it as an occasion to give us final teachings, Lord, regarding your kingdom. And Lord, help us to pay heed to it, Lord. And bless and thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Prayer request. Hey, Pastor Sandra, pray for uh, uh, Ethan, I see Ethan is not here today, and of course Pam and uh, Trevi, John. okay, John and uh, Jackie, not our Jackie, but uh, <clears throat> Pastor Sandra and Randy's neighbor. They both uh, suffered debilitating strokes. Other prayer requests? Dwayne. Dwayne? I saw Dwayne, uh, I think it was uh, Friday when I was out. Uh, Digging up some of the big weeds around the front over here, and uh, he said, it again, huh? Again, this, huh?" Three
1: pieces of rain.
0: Oh, three pieces of rain? Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about uh, Dwayne. Dwayne is the neighbor over here. Yeah, he he seemed to be uh, walking okay. His wife is doing all everything for him. He can't. Left, he can't mm-hmm. do anything. So basically, he yeah. I was wife around doing all this ranch work. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I didn't get a chance to to talk to him. He just walked past, you know, real quick. And I was going to ask him about that, but he was he was gone. Okay. Anyway, Dwayne. Um, rain. Yeah, rain. Okay. Other prayer requests? Okay, once again we pray for the nation, revival, leaders, and intercessors. pray also for uh, Ukraine and uh, Israel and Thailand okay other prayer requests <laughs> right we'll come to them any any other prayer
1: requests?
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So we got family and friends. Um, unspoken. Who's got an unspoken request? Okay. Again, hold up your arm, your hand high. Okay. And pray for the food. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we lift up to you. uh, First of all, we thank you so much. And we praise your holy name. And uh, Lord, you're the one who provides for all of our needs according to your riches and glory. You are our healer, Lord. And uh, Lord, we praise you for your blessed and holy name which reveals to us your very nature and lord uh, thank you for uh, <clears throat> the giving us this vehicle of prayer to make our request made, made known to you lord through prayer, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving we lift up to you uh, pastor sandra lord we pray that you just lessen her pain lord she's experienced so much pain, Lord, in her feet, Lord, with all these operations and things that she's had to endure. Pray also for her uh, blood pressure, Lord God, that uh, uh, how it crashes at uh, different times, Lord, and Lord, she causes her to faint, Lord, so pray, Lord, that she would uh, uh, be able to maintain a steady and... uh, (coughs) blood pressure lord that she would not uh, suffer these things lord we also pray for our blessed uh, uh, brother and uh, two sisters lord ethan pam and trevi lord they're up in years and lord they had a lot of uh, physical difficulties thank you for bringing pam and trevi in here uh, today and Lord, we pray for Brother Ethan, Lord, that you'd uh, bring healing to his body, Lord. Pray, Lord, that their digestive systems would function properly, Lord, and provide the absor- absorption of the nutrients, Lord, from the food that they consume. And uh, Lord, uh, pray that you'd help them to uh, <clears throat> get and maintain a steady weight. And uh, Lord, uh, bless each of them, Lord, and uh, Lord, we also pray for John and Jackie, Lord, John and Alaska and Jackie out there, and uh, uh, Hurricane, Lord, uh, next to uh, Pastor Sandra and Randy, Lord, uh, they've had these debilitating strokes, Lord, and they haven't been doing too well, so Lord, we pray that you'd raise them up, but Lord, most of all, we pray for their spiritual well-beings, Lord. They don't know you, Lord. We pray that you they would find you. Pray for Dwayne, Lord, next door. And Lord, he's uh, really a nice fellow. Lord, I've had good conversations with him. Lord, uh, only you know where he is, stands with uh, his spiritual well-being. Lord, we pray that you, if he doesn't know you, Lord, that he would get saved. Lord, for his physical need, Lord, with his back, Lord, and uh, his wife has been having to do most of the heavy ranch work. So, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name you bring healing to that back. Lord, we pray for rain for not only here in Fredonia, Lord, but for the entire area around here. Uh, Lord, in all of the Four Corners area, Lord, that suffered so much, Lord, with drought. Lord, uh, Lake Powell and uh, Lake Mead are just so far down And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you'd bless us with the moisture that we need. And Lord, uh, we experienced a drought, Lord, that they say has been maybe the worst in the last thousand years. So, Lord, we pray that uh, we would begin to get that rain so that the crops can be raised, that the animals, Lord, on the reservation and... uh, Lord, uh, with Susie and uh, uh, the other people Lord, around here that raise cattle Lord, that the cattle would have enough water to drink and fresh uh, grass to eat, Lord God and uh, thank you for this Lord, we pray for our nation and pray that you would uh, bring a revival Lord God, pray that you'd bring a uh, conviction of sin, Lord God and uh, that <coughs> Lord, we uh, Lord, with, uh, especially with the sexual sin that's so pervasive, Lord. I've uh, read about uh, so many people are caught up in this trap of uh, pornography, Lord, which poisons their minds and their hearts, Lord God, and uh, their relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that people would repent of this, Lord, and get away from that trap. Lord, we pray for our Leaders, Lord, show them the right ways to uh, rule. Lord, especially with this ungodly thing that's happening now, Lord, of uh, talking to about these gender studies to even small children, Lord God, and, Lord, destroying the children's innocence. I pray, Lord, that this would stop, Lord, because I know that this sin you will not allow to go unanswered. Pray that you'd raise up <clears throat> intercessors that would stand in the gap, Lord, and uh, that your hand of uh, judgment would be stayed. Pray for uh, Ukraine, Lord. Pray for the protection there. So many innocents are being killed, Lord God. They don't even know how many of them, but it's easily... ten. Tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people have died. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd remove that suffering from that nation which has done nothing to uh, cause it. Lord, we also pray for Israel. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that your protecting hand would rest upon them. And Lord God, that the this godless government there in uh, uh, Iran would not succeed in bringing destruction to Israel, but Lord, we pray for Your hand of judgment to uh, befall Iran too. Lord, pray for Thailand, Lord, that the hand, Your hand, would uh, be stayed, Lord, regarding the COVID plague that has been bothering them, and also for their political problems. Pray for Your church there, Lord. Uh, pray in Jesus' name that, uh, Lord, You would uh, bless them. And, uh, uh, Lord, take care of them. Lord, watch over them. Father, we pray for our family and friends, Lord, for those that are unsaved among them. And, Lord, we pray that you'd give us opportunity to speak to them and to make the most of that opportunity, even as the uh, Apostle Paul wrote that we are to redeem the opportunities for the days are evil. And... Lord, also for our uh, unsaved, uh, our saved family and friends, Lord, that uh, your hand of protection would rest upon them. Help us to speak to them and give them encouragement and everything. And Lord, these unspoken requests that were signified by the upraised hands, Lord, you know each person, you know the need that is represented there. And so, Lord, your hand is not too shortened that it cannot save, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd answer these unspoken requests. And finally, Lord, we pray for the food. We thank you for your blessings and how you've provided for us, Lord. And so we pray that you'd bless the food for our bodies nourishment and bless our time of fellowship together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.